few statistics, and this is from this is from 2013, so almost two years ago. If you would go in any typical grocery store, you would find Crest toothpaste, right? But you have to make a choice because there's 27 varieties of Crest toothpaste. Maybe you'd also find some Campbell's soup. Like Campbell's soup? Creamy tomato, that's the best, with grilled cheese. You'd find 53 different varieties of Campbell's soup you'd have to choose from. You gotta make a choice. What are you gonna eat? How about uh, even orange juice, Tropicana Pure Premium Orange Juice? There's eight sizes and they range from eight ounces to 128 ounces. How much do you want? Make a choice. Briar's ice cream. There's natural, there's French, there's half the fat. This is just vanilla, by the way. There's no sugar added, extra creamy, homemade, lactose-free, carb-smart. Those are just the vanilla varieties. You can make a choice. Cheerios. When I was a kid, there was one kind. Oh, there are two kinds of Cheerios. There was the gross regular kind, and there were a honey nut. (laughs) Right? And there were a honey nut. Well, now there's original honey nut, there's honey nut medley crunch, apple cinnamon, banana nut, frosted. Ooh, that sounds good. I wish I was still a kid. Chocolate, multigrain, multigrain peanut butter, cinnamon burst, all kinds of different Cheerios. There's fruit ones, I think. There's different kinds of Tide liquid laundry detergent. Different kinds of head and shoulder shampoo. Active Sport, Old Spice, Deep Clean, Hair Endurance, that's for bald guys. Refresh, Extra Strength for Men, Citrus Breeze, Scalp Care, Itchy Scalp with Eucalyptus, Smooth and Silky. It's like Adam playing basketball, Smooth and Silky. Extra Volume, Green Apple, Damage Rescue, Extra Strength, Chemical Strength, plus seven more that I didn't mention. Little wonder then, in, in a 2014 Consumers Report survey, nearly 3,000 shoppers, of nearly 3,000 shoppers, found 30% were overwhelmed by the information they had to process to make a buying decision. All kinds of choices. Well, this morning we're wrapping up Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he ends his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. By giving four exhortations, four encouragements, and then four warnings. We've already covered three of the four, three of the four encouragements. You know, judge not, examine yourself first. You remember the last one from last week? Ask, seek, knock. Well, this morning we'll cover that final fourth exhortation and then the four warnings. And what I would submit to you is that those five points Jesus makes toward the end of his Sermon on the Mount, each one of them presents a choice for us to make. Each one presents you with a choice. So you have five choices that you need to make this morning. And not choices that I give you, but choices that Jesus himself gives you. So that's where we're headed. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. But before we do that, let's pray. And then uh, you can get your Bible or your app or whatever it is open to Matthew chapter 7. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his goodness, for uh, his perfect life uh, lived, his death on the cross, his resurrection. Um, I thank you for his love for us and his, his grace and his humility uh, to, to come and, and, and put on flesh. We, we just celebrated that this week. Let, let it be um, profoundly true and meaningful to us in our hearts. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray now that you fill me, teach me. Even as I teach, um, 
I thank you that you forgive me because of Jesus. I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Uh, Teach us from your word. Present us with these choices, uh, with the voice of Jesus himself, and give us courage to make the right choice, the choice that, that he would desire for his followers, for his kingdom people to make. Father, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have five choices this morning. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And uh, remember the scene, Jesus is, it's, it's one of the most famous discourses in all of human history, the Sermon on the Mount. He's up on really what is a large hill overlooking uh, the Sea of Galilee or Lake Galilee. Imagine if there was a big hill look, overlooking Lake Wawasee and you were standing there and people down the hill in front of him and he's, he's teaching out over that crowd. And toward the end of his discourse, he says this, so... Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Have you heard that before? Whatever you wish somebody would do to you, that's what you should do to them. A lot of parents, you have your kids in here this morning. How many of you have ever said that to your kids? If you want your brother to be nice to you, be nice to your brother. Right? You ever, kids, you ever hear your parents say that to you? Treat others the way you want to be treated. What's that called? What is it? The golden rule. Good job. That's the golden rule. Did you know that was from Jesus? Did you know Jesus is the one who gave us the golden rule? Well, some scholars would say, well, actually, that that existed in literature prior to Jesus coming on the scene. And it, it did. And that's true. And it was taught prior to Jesus coming on the scene. But before Jesus, it was always stated in the negative. It was always in the negative before Jesus showed up. Jesus is the first one recorded ever to say it in the positive. Here's what I mean by that. The negative version of that is don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Don't, don't smack your neighbor if you don't want them to smack you. Right? Don't steal from your neighbor if you don't want them to steal from you. Now, what's the problem with stating it negatively? To fulfill it, you just can do nothing. Oh, that's easy. I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit around, be lazy, be a bum. But Jesus, when he commands it, he says, no, do to others what you would have them do to you. Jesus commands us to be active in it. And we're left with a choice then How will I treat other people? How will I treat others? That's your first choice this morning that Jesus gives us toward the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He says it in a positive rule, that negative one. The positive one's the golden rule. That negative one, if you read about it, you'll find out a lot of people refer to that as the silver rule. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. The golden rule, though, is how about you just be active in it and do to others what you would have them do to you. So that's your first choice. How will you treat others? Well, first you need to ask yourself, how do you want to be treated? Well, I I want people to be kind to me. Well, be kind to other people. I I want people to like me and love me and care for me. Well, care for other people. I want people to love me. Well, then love other people. I mean, will you treat other people the way you want to be treated or will you just do whatever you feel like doing? That's the choice Jesus leaves you with. That's towards, and he says, this is the law and the prophets. In other words, if you do this, 
You'll fulfill all the law and all the prophets if you would just treat other people the way you would want to be treated. He sums it up in another place too, do you remember, where he he gives uh, the great commandment where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second most important rule is love your neighbor as yourself. He just rephrases it in a different way here. Treat them like you'd like to be treated. And in that passage, he goes on and says, if you do that, you fulfill all the law and all the prophets. You would do everything God would command you to do if you would simply love God and love others. How do you treat people? How do you treat people? That's your first choice this morning. The second choice is this. Well, let's read the passage first. It's in verses 13 and 14. Jesus goes on and he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Another way way to phrase this one, you know, will I take the easy way out or will I do the right thing? The question is, which way will you take? He talks about a gate and he talks about a way. He talks about a way that is wide and that many, and I would argue most people are on. It's the easy one to go down. It's wide and it's easy, but where does it lead? If you go through that gate, where does it lead? Destruction. And we're not clear. We, you know, Jesus doesn't really make it clear. Is the gate at the beginning of the path? And so I go through the gate and now I'm, I'm toast for the rest of my life because I went through that gate. Or is, is the gate at the end of the path? And I'm just on this path that's going to lead to that gate. And it's wide and it's easy. That's why so many people are on it. It's just so easy. But the reality is it leads to destruction. When Jesus speaks of destruction, what he's speaking of is, is hell. He's speaking of paying the penalty for your sin for eternity in hell. Jesus speaks about that more than anything else. And so this is a warning. This is the first of the warnings that he leaves at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. See, every person on the face of the earth, you and I were presented with two ways. One way is narrow. The other way is wide. One way is really hard. The other way is easy. One way leads to life. The other way leads to death and destruction. This was a Jewish teaching. It it appears all over in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. uh, God says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Choose the narrow way. He says it again in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, right at the beginning of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, in other words, on the wide way, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers, but his delight, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The prophet Jeremiah speaks to it as well in chapter 21, verse 8. And and to this people you shall say, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Make a choice. Jesus is saying, make a choice. Will you enter by the narrow gate and go the hard way, which leads to life? Or will you take the wide way to the easy way to the gate that leads to death and destruction? Which will you choose? 
Well, it's curious because at the outset, the wide way looks like the way to go. I mean, why? Well, everybody's going this way. And it's easy. It's smooth sailing. This is a great way to go. Why are you going that way? Why are you working so hard? Why are you killing yourself over there, Travis? I mean, why, why are you going the narrow? Come over the wide way. It's easy. But, but what we get blinded to is that there's a cliff at the end of the wide way. And you go through the gate and you fall to destruction. But at the end of the narrow way, at the end of the hard way is life. We sang about it this morning with the kids. Eternal life. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eternal life. Notice too, Jesus says that many enter or take the wide gate. They take the easy way, but few find the narrow way. It's something that's revealed to us by the Holy Spirit himself. You know, I read this passage and I'm sure none of you ever listened to ACDC, right? But the song Highway to Hell, the reality is that most people are on it. Most people are on it. And they need to find the narrow way. And you're presented with a choice by Jesus Christ himself. Will you take the wide way or will you take the narrow way? You have to make a choice. Which way will you take? And ultimately, the narrow way, the narrow gate is Jesus himself. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 9, he describes himself as the gate. He says, I am the door, or your translation might say, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and go in and out and find pleasure forevermore. You want to go to the narrow way? You know who you need to seek? You know who you need to follow? Not your heart, but Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. That's the narrow way. Jesus himself, he says, I'm the gate. I'm the door. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father, but how? Through him. Through him. And and hear me, the gate leading to life is narrow, not because it's a lot of hard work to become a Christian. In fact, becoming a Christian, it is hard because I have to, Surrender. I have to let go of my pride. I have to let go of my sin. And I have to give myself to Jesus. But the, the, the way is narrow and the way is hard and the gate is narrow. Not because becoming a Christian is hard. But because there's only one way and few people actually decide to walk it. Few people decide to walk it. And some people teach that following Jesus is easy. But the reality is it's really hard. It's the best choice you'll make, but it's going to be hard work to follow him. But, but becoming his follower is easy, just simply trusting him. It's so easy that many people miss it and they go, that's too easy. I need to work for my salvation. No, you don't. You trust him and he gives it to you as a gift. And then you pick up your cross, which is hard work, and follow. And follow him. Not to earn your salvation, but because of it. So how will you treat others? Which way will you take? Then he asks a third question. He gives a a second warning, and it's a third choice for us this morning, starting in verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets. Look out for them. Those who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, so every, every healthy tree that bears good fruit Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He's giving a warning here. 
He's giving a warning to watch out for false prophets, to watch out for false teachers. The question then, the choice is who will you follow? Or who will you listen to? Who will I follow? Who will I listen to? And you could even add to this, uh, will, will I be a healthy tree or a diseased tree? And ultimately that comes down to who you follow and who you listen to and what you read and where you connect in your Christian walk. I, I would tell our high school kids this all the time when I was doing student ministry, that you become like the people you hang out with. You become like those you hang out with. So who you follow, who you listen to matters in terms of will you be healthy or will you be diseased? Will you bear good fruit or bad fruit? The Old Testament mentions false prophets or false teachers often. And uh, here's one way maybe you could define that. They're teachers who claim to have received messages from God, but only prophesied what the king and or people wanted to hear. Or, or they used their teaching maybe to manipulate people for their own personal gain, in which that case they're just making themselves to be king. And so they're telling the people what the king would want them to hear. And that's what a false prophet was. They claimed to have a word from God, but in reality, it was just what people wanted to hear. Paul tells us, he tells Timothy, that in the, in the final days, in the last days, there will be people who won't endure sound teaching. In fact, instead, they'll just search for stuff that, some translations say it or paraphrases say it, that tickle their ears. They'll just hear what they want to hear. And do whatever they want to do because they don't want to be confronted with the truth of the gospel and with sin and with, with the prospect of, of spending eternity in hell. That's a hard saying. Who can believe it? Jesus says those will be, they'll be false prophets. And, and the closer we get to the end, more and more false prophets and false teachers will arise. In fact, I'd say they're, they're as common, probably more common today than they were in, in biblical times. And Jesus says, watch out and beware of those. So how do you identify them? Well, by their fruit. What are they motivated by? If you're listening to podcasts, and, and I would encourage you to, you know, find, find podcasts, find books to read, feed yourself. Don't just, don't just come on Sunday morning and say, oh, I've, I'm good. I've studied enough of the Bible this week. Josh spoon fed me some, some good Gerber, you know, ground up carrots. It was fantastic. And then you do nothing the rest of the week. No, grow up on your own and feed yourself. Get into the, get into the word on your own. Find podcasts online. Find things you can read online. Find books. There, there's so much information available today, but you also have to beware because there's just as much messed up information out there today. The people you listen to, the people you read, what are they motivated by? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it power? Is it praise from people? Jesus tells us that people like this will come in among his sheep, among the church. And while pretending to be sheep, They'll sneak around, and in reality, it'll be like Little Red Riding Hood, and they'll have on sheep's clothing, but ultimately, they're ravenous wolves. And that's why we're slow to incorporate people. If you're, if you're new, we love you. We're glad you're here, but we're going to be slow maybe to incorporate you into teaching. Why? Because Jesus just says, beware. We, just, we, we want to see your fruit, and fruit takes time to be shown, doesn't it? Fruit takes time to grow. So be patient. We love you. We want you to teach. We want you to grow to maturity, but, but we're going to be careful. We have to guard that because the last thing we would want is somebody brand new coming in and all of a sudden we have him teaching and he's, maybe they're teaching in our kids' ministry and they're like, what big teeth you have? What big eyes you have? And you find out in reality it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And in fact, Jesus calls them ravenous wolves. Ravenous wolves. 
ferocious. And they come to seek and destroy. And sadly, many churches have been destroyed by them. We need to be on guard. And the way we're on guard, the way you choose who you follow, who you listen to, is you evaluate it by God's word. If it comes the day that I'm not teaching you from God's word, then it's time to have a vote and get somebody else in here, right? Seriously, kick me out if I'm not teaching God's word. Jesus didn't elaborate on what their false teaching would be, but I'd say it follows from the context that they would probably be teaching a way of salvation that didn't include a narrow gate and a hard way. That didn't include a narrow gate, Jesus alone. That didn't include a hard way, take up your cross. So be on guard. Judge people by your fruit. But at the same time, your judgments need to take time to be made. You should use condemnation of people sparingly because the reality is that, that you can have people who are, who, are, who are taking the narrow way, seeking the narrow gate. They're following Jesus. But sometimes that doesn't mean they're always going to be free from error and be perfect, right? Be slow to kick out a teacher or a leader or someone who, who just makes mistakes sometimes and are misguided. And they need to learn as well. I need to learn as well. I guarantee you there's probably been stuff. If I could sit down and listen to everything I've ever said up here on a Sunday morning, I would go through and there'd probably be a good chunk of it that I'd go, eh, let's pull that out. I don't know that I was right when I said that. And we want to grow in that. So, so use your condemnation sparingly. Young people, where are you? Over here. The reality is that when you're young, you're most likely to do this. I'll just give you a piece of advice. When I was young, I got out of college. I was in college. I was in high school. I was like, I know what's going on. I've got it down. And that's the way it should be done. And they don't know what they're doing. And I'm cool. They're not. Look at the way they dress. Whatever, right? Use condemnation sparingly. Wait and look for fruit. And then make those judgments. And all of us need to take that advice because... It's the reality for all of us. Be slow. Jesus says, we talked about it a few weeks ago. He also says, every tree that does not bear fruit, ultimately, Jesus is the one who will deal with them because they're cut down and thrown into the fire. Even now, Jesus says, Matthew 3, the axes, or excuse me, um, John the Baptist says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So just finally, some wisdom on discerning false teachers, false prophets. One, three things. Avoid firm opinions that you make all by yourself. You're wondering, should I be listening to this guy? Should I be reading this? Should I be studying? Should I be following this? Is this really what? Well, maybe the worst thing you could do is just decide that totally on your own. Go to people you trust who you know know God's word who you trust, who are following Jesus, who you see good fruit in their life, and ask them to help you make those decisions. And chances are, with, with most of those, there's going to be some stuff I can take and some stuff I go, Boy, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's right, but I, I know this guy has a good heart and I'm going to continue to follow him and learn from him. Don't make those decisions alone. Number two, never form a life commitment without referencing God's word. Never, never choose a church when you guys get out of college. Never choose a church. Never figure out where you're going to go without first um, 
being in God's word and looking for his wisdom on who you would follow and where you would go and who you would listen to. And then finally, we covered this already, but be generous in your judgments, but don't compromise with evil. Be generous and slow to judge and make those decisions, but don't, at the same time, don't compromise with evil. When you see evil, it's time to turn and run and go somewhere else, right? So we've covered three choices. Who, how I treat others. Um, which way will I take? Who will I follow? Now we get to verse 21 in chapter 7. Jesus says another warning. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is one of the scariest verses to me in all of Scripture, just so you know. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This verse scares the snot out of me as a pastor. If one day I'd stand before Jesus and go, yeah, but, but God, I, I, I played music. I sung to you. I, I served. I gave my life to serve in ministry. I taught people your word. I, I did all these things. And he would look at me and go, who are you? I never knew you. Depart from me. Does that scare you? It should put a healthy amount of fear in you because it's an incredibly scary verse that we can serve God, that we can be involved in the church, that literally we can spend our lifetime in church. You can be born in the church, baptized in the church, dedicated in the church, go to Sunday school in the church, be confirmed in the church. You can uh, go through student ministry in the church. You can get married in the church. You can uh, serve in the church for the rest of your life. You can have your funeral in the church, but you can spend your lifetime in church. And if you're not in Christ, you'll still spend eternity in hell. Sitting in the pew this morning no more makes you a Christian than sitting in Taco Bell makes you a chalupa. Right? I say that all the time, but it's true. You might start to look like a Christian. I eat enough chalupas, I'm going to look like one. But it's not going to make you a Christian. The thing that makes you a Christian is are you in Christ? Have you trusted Jesus Christ? The reality is you can't do it on your own. And Jesus says the, the ones who inherit the kingdom of heaven are not just the ones who call on me, but those who do my Father's will. Who do my Father's will. And the question then, the choice is, whose agenda will you pursue? Some people choose to follow Jesus because uh, it's about them. And I want to feel better about myself. And I, but the reality is, is, Jesus says those who have truly trusted him will be about doing his will. Where's the fruit again? Where's the fruit? If your faith hasn't changed you, we say it probably hasn't saved you. Because there's fruit that grows from a healthy tree if you're growing to become more like Jesus Christ. And ultimately, then, whose agenda will you pursue? He says, the ones who do the will of my Father who's in heaven. Well, that will begins with repenting of my sin and turning to Jesus Christ and him alone for my salvation. Because I have no hope to make it on my own. Zero. I can be the greatest guy in the world, and I don't stand a chance when I'm compared to Jesus. Because he's the perfect standard of perfection. He's the one by whom I'll be judged one day. 
In fact, he, he sets himself up here as judge. He says, everyone who says to me, to who? To the judge. He's the one who will judge both the living and the dead. See, it's, it's easy to profess faith in Jesus, but it's hard to possess it, isn't it? Because it's a narrow gate. It's a narrow way. It's a hard way to follow him. Don't just give lip service to it. Give your heart to him. So many people believe, and they're on the wide way, that if I just do enough good, then, you know, God will save me. He'll, I'll, I'll make it to heaven. I'll be okay. I mean, I'm not as bad as them. Right? The truth is, you can never do enough good. There, there's no one good but Jesus himself. Romans 3, Paul writes, none is righteous. Not one, quoting the Old Testament, no one understands, no one seeks God. Everyone is turned aside and together they've become worthless. No one does good, not, not even one. A ruler asked Jesus in Luke chapter 18, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. See, your, your only chance to be good enough is if you exchange your sin for Jesus' righteousness. Your filth for his goodness. It's a gift exchange. Where you give him your sin and he gives you his purity. That's what it means to repent, to turn from my way of doing it and turn to Jesus to give him my life and let him give me his life. And he pays the penalty then for me on the cross and dies a horrible death so that I don't have to. And so that I would have life. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Are, are you worried about entering, entering the kingdom? Are you ever worried about that? Are you worried about whether or not you really know Jesus? Are you worried about whether or not you'll make it to heaven? During an edition of uh, 60 Minutes, Dan Rather one time asked Jack Welch, who was the CEO of, of General Electric, and uh, Jack Welch is a pretty outspoken, really good leader, but at the end of the interview, Rather asked him, he says, what's the toughest question you've ever been asked? And Welch replied, he says, I think it'd have to be, uh, do you think you'll go to heaven? That's the toughest question I've ever been asked. When asked how he had answered that question, Welch continued, it's a long answer, but I said that, you know, if caring about people, if giving your all, if being a great friend counts, despite that I've been divorced a couple times and no one's proud of that, I haven't done anything right all the time. I, I think I have a shot, but I'm in no hurry to get there and find out anytime soon. You know, this is the answer that so many people would give. Maybe this is the answer you would give. The real answer is... If you want to have eternal life, you want to enter the kingdom, you need to go down the narrow way, enter by the narrow gate, which is Jesus himself and Jesus alone. And trust him. Turn from your sin and trust him. And this leads us then to the final question. The final choice. Will, will you be wise or will you be foolish? This is the culmination of everything that Jesus has taught in the Sermon on the Mount so far in, in three chapters of Matthew. Ten weeks that we've studied it together. Will you be wise or will you be foolish? Which way do you think is the wise way? The narrow way. Which way do you suppose is the foolish way? 
The easy way, the wide way. Jesus ends like this. He says, everyone then, verse 24, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Jesus says you're wise if you not only hear what he has to say, but do what he says to do. If you actually put his words into practice, you do his will, you take the narrow way, you enter by the narrow, then you're wise. Otherwise, you're foolish. Now, some people who are in construction read this passage today and they go, I don't think Jesus really knew what he's talking about. Building on the rock or on the sand. I mean, when you pour a foundation of your house, a lot of times it's on sand so that it can shift a little bit and it won't crack. Well, Jesus isn't talking about the, the physics of construction, okay? He's not talking about engineering here. He's just talking about what the people who were hearing him would have understood, which would have been the people in Palestine, a desert area where if, if you know anything about it, it's a very arid climate. And when the rain would come, especially in certain parts of it that were on the backside of, of, of what's called the Shephela in the mountains where not much rain got to, when the rain came, the ground was so hard, so dry, that, that it didn't soak into the ground. And instead what would happen, it would come down these mountains and it would flood And huge torrents of water would come and just totally wash everything away. And if it would wash out the sand from underneath and carve all kinds of erosion and everything. And so if your house was built on the sand, good luck. Good luck. Because when the rains come and the floods come, you're a fool. Why would you build down in a dry riverbed? But if you build up on the rock, guess what? Your house is going to stand and you're going to be wise because you're prepared for those things and it will endure. And Jesus is saying, if you put into practice everything you've heard him teach, if you put it into practice, you'll be wise. You'll be like the guy who built his house up on the rock. And the question, will you be wise or will you be foolish? Will you put it into practice or will you ignore it and play the fool? The the word there for fool is the Greek word moros. Change the S to an N, and you get the idea of what it is Jesus is saying to you if you don't do what he says to do. That's who you are. That's what you are. You're a fool. Right? You're like, that's, that's pretty harsh. I, I know, but it's what Jesus says. Moros. Moron, you're, you're, you're foolish. Put it into practice. See, Jesus' true followers, his little brother James writes, be doers of the word, not hearers only, and deceiving yourself. If anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself, but then he goes away, and right away he forgets what he looked like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. This is a demonstration, loved ones, of true faith. 
I, I use this definition of faith a lot. It was taught to me by my pastor when I was in college. And biblical faith is believing God's word, and not just believing it, but then acting upon it, right? Putting it into practice. Why? No matter how I feel, because God promises a good result and God keeps every one of his promises. Here's the question then for you. Another question is, where, where's your hope? How, how does your life hold up in the storm? Because just like we said, fruit reveals your character, right? You figure out if it's a false teacher, a good teacher, that's going to be revealed by somebody's fruit. The reality is that when, when you face the storms, storms plural in your life, that's going to reveal your faith. Fruit reveals your character. Storms reveal your faith. It's the test. How does your life hold up in the storm? Because you'll face them. Storms when the rains fall. When life rains on your parade, how's your joy? How's your hope? Is the rain of losing your job disappointing? Yeah, it is. It's really hard. Is the, is the rain of a relationship gone sour hard to deal with? It is. How about the rain of losing your health and getting sick? I mean, it's not much fun. Unless you're really weird, that's not fun. But not just the rain, Jesus says. When, not, not just the rain, but the floods. I mean, so much rain that it floods. Not just the rain of losing your job, but the flood of, of losing even your ability to work. How's, how's your faith holding up now? Not just the rain of a relationship gone sour, but the flood of a relationship that might never be restored. Either because of something you did or they did, or, or maybe they've passed on and you'll never have that chance to restore that relationship again. How's your joy and your hope holding? How's your faith now in the flood? Not just the rain of losing your health, but the flood of a terminal illness. One week, two months, three years. Where's your joy now? See, it's in the storms, loved ones, that your faith is revealed. So will you be wise or foolish? Will you build your house on the rock, Jesus, or on the sand of whichever way the wind blows? That's how Jesus ends his sermon. That's how he ends it. Will you be wise or will you be foolish? Character is revealed by fruit, but your faith is revealed by the storms. So build your faith to withstand anything, and then you'll stand. Jesus says, so that in the day, you'll stand. So it just begs the question, what's your faith in? Is it rooted in the rock? Is it in Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ? Or is it in something that'll wash away the moment trial hits. Be not just hearers of the word, but doers of it. Hear what Jesus has said and put it into practice that your house would be like the one built by the wise man, built on the rocks that it would endure. Amen? Well, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as, his, not as their scribes. I hope you know Jesus. I hope you've put your faith there because he is God. 
And he speaks these things with authority, not just as good advice, but as life itself for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us in him and through him. Um, Lord, these are choices that every one of us has to make and every one of us do make, sometimes on a daily basis even. How will we treat others? Will we treat them the way that we desire to be treated? Those who are part of your kingdom, who are really following you, bear the fruit of really loving and caring for others. Uh, Which gate will I enter? Which way will I take? It's easy to take the wide way and the easy way. But it takes surrender and sacrifice and to turn to you and follow the narrow way. Give us courage and grace to do that. And I pray that those who maybe have never made that choice would even today. And whose agenda will I pursue? Father, let me be about pursuing your will, not my own. Your glory, not my gain. And and ultimately, uh, will I be wise or foolish? Help me to be wise. Not just hearing your word, not just teaching your word, but, but doing your word. Letting it bear fruit in my life. I pray that for each one here, let us be a church of doers, not simply hearers. And Father, I pray for those who maybe um, never trusted you. They're on the wide way toward the gate that leads to destruction. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray for them right now that, that you might convict them in such a way that they recognize that the way to true life is not the way they're on. But it's following Jesus, and it's through him and in him. Um, help them then to, to repent, which just means to turn from their sin and turn from the way they're going and instead turn uh, to the narrow way, to the narrow gate, to Jesus himself, that he would forgive them, make them new, and adopt them as part of your family. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen.